Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah! This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Shelly Mazanoble. Yeah! And Tanya DePass. How's it going? Thank you so much for stopping by here in Seattle Town. Yes. You brought the rain. Well, actually, no. It's, no. it's been raining the whole time. <laughs> we can't blame you for that. <laughs> I don't have, I do not have those powers. <laughs> You're not the rain the goddess. The rain and the wind and no. the darkness. The darkness, all. maybe. I'll take the darkness, not so much the rain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's so good to see you. Uh, you are fresh off of lots of appearances at cons. As You, you seem to always be traveling. Yes. I was home for a whole 24 hours before I came to Seattle. Oh, no. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, how is how has all the travels been going? I'm good. So I was a big bad con um, doing that. It was awesome. I'm always glad to go. Shout out to Sean Nittner and DC. Woo. Who put together a fund for a lot of people of color to go. Um, yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Everybody seemed extremely uh, yeah. excited about what there were so was many brown people at a tabletop convention. It made me so happy. I know that's so exciting. And I got to see like I got to see DC. I got to see um, Carl POC D and D, um, Shrang Biswas. I got to meet Kiana. Um, got to see Strix and Ajit, who did a lot of that work as well. Um, and just see so many people, both local friends in that area that I don't get to see very often, but all the people like I've talked to on Twitter and we've talked about. Games and tabletop and and all things and also the commiseration of being brown in the space. Right. But it wasn't like, oh, this sucks. It was like, oh, my God, I get to see you and hang out with you. I'm so excited. It seemed very celebratory, which yes. I loved uh, from from far away. Being able yeah. to, to witness that was was really special. Uh, but you mentioned Kiana Shaw. She is yes. our guest today yes. for the interview. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We need pom-poms now. I know, right? Yeah. Very excited to uh, speak to uh, them about uh, all of the streaming and tabletop design work uh, that they're doing, and it is uh, going to be great. No, I, I can't even list all of the credits uh, that they've got. It's amazing. Yeah. I am very excited about some of the new releases that they have uh, coming up in the DMs Guild. For sure. We need to dig into those. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so that'll come up in a little bit, um, but in the meantime... Uh, Rivals of Waterdeep has been playing through some Baldur's Gate yes. Descent into Avernus stuff. Uh, oh, yes. How's that going with, with Cicero at the, <laughs> as Dungeon Master? Um, it's been really good. So Cicero, unlike um, other folks that have DM'd, he is still playing Perrin. Yes. So I find that interesting. Oh, what? Yes, he's still playing Perrin and DMing. How does that work? He, you know, kudos to him. I don't think I could do it, like be my character and run the yeah. game. But Perrin is there, and Perrin is very unhappy in being an Avertus. Both Perrin and my character, Lisa are like, we should not be here. <laughs> we should go. But like, doesn't Perrin, like, know things because, uh, because he's, he's a, a dungeon master? Like, doesn't that make it a little no, bit hard to not metagame? So, he's not metagamed. He's not metagamed. Actually, I fussed at Sharif because he kind of metagamed. He brought up, like, one of my stats, and I'm like, but your character would never know this. <laughs> it was like player knowledge, not character knowledge. Um, but no, he's he's been great. I know he was, he talked about how he was a little nervous because he uh, Cicero, Sharif, and Brandon had not played D anD D before our show started. Right. Their first time playing yeah. was on stage last year D anD D live. I, when we talked to Cicero, I, think, I know we talked about this. That blows my mind. Yep. Your first time playing, you're doing it live on a stage. Yeah, and he and you know from that moment he has been hooked. He's been playing other games like with friends, mm-hmm. and 
he had ideas kind of starting the middle of fourth season about if we got a fifth season, stuff I want to do. I have all these ideas knowing Avern's content was coming. And he's got stuff mapped out. He and I have talked about things we can do to my character because my character's not having a great time. <laughs> um, well, she's a paladin. Yeah, she's yeah like, this it's is not, the not a good place for Antithesis of, of, of your character. Well, she's a paladin who's taken an oath of vengeance. Yeah. And she has not yet met, she has not fulfilled that oath of vengeance. And so being in Avernus and struggling and really wanting to go home and just going, why are we here? What did we do wrong? I've got to finish my mission. Well, I've got to finish my mission. So there will be some temptation slash maybe difficult decisions for Selyse in the future. Ooh. Yeah. Because she, she is a lawful neutral paladin. She is not lawful good. She is not loof. She, she is neutral, so basically she will ride that gray line mm. of morality and do what she has to do to f- fulfill the mission. Even if it's more on the, the darker side of morality, much like me in real life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, eh. Yeah, that's... Feels pretty uh, fertile for a dungeon master slash devil to be able to tempt and, your and, character. And Cicero is very much a ham. I love him, but he's a ham. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm interested slash terrified of what he's going to put our characters through. I can't wait. I know that's going to be. Yeah, we we come back Sunday. We took uh, last week off because right. half of us were in game hole con. Uh, big bad. Or, I'm sorry, big bad con. I have game old con on the brain. It's coming up soon. It's coming up. Two weeks. That's right. Uh, in Wisconsin. Shout out to Alex Kammer and uh, them who've put it all together. Um, but uh, yeah, so right. So you guys took the, the uh, last Sunday off, but you're right. back on at 10 a.m. Pacific yep. time. Um, and uh, can't wait. What episode are we? Are you at right now? That'll be episode four, and episode. everyone will be there this week. Sweet. Yes. So when you were when you and Cicero were talking about things that can happen to your character, mm-hmm. where does he come to you and he's like, "I have this really crazy idea," or are you like, "I want to explore this part of my character"? Like, um, it was a little bit of both because, like, bet- so we were on Slack, so we have a Slack for us, and then um, we have a Discord that's more like the public facing folks who watch the show if they want to interact. And so, like, between sessions, like, "Hey, what did you think of this?" Especially after the first couple episodes, make sure we were all meshing, and he wasn't. He wanted to make sure he was doing as a DM and that we were all kind of feeling what he was doing as a DM. Um, and so he was like, I have ideas, but if you have ideas, let me know. So we've been chatting both in Slack and by text of, here's some things that could happen to Solis. And, you know, I don't know. Things I want to do may or may not work for the dynamic, so I want to be sure that works for the dynamic of the group. Um but he's like, I have ideas because he has plot things that yeah. the other DMs told him that maybe we didn't get to in the four seasons so far. Oh. So maybe ideas or plot hooks that just kind of didn't come around. Because, I mean, you've DM'd. You, you know you not DM'd. <laughs> what? A little bit. A little. I didn't have great experiences. Oh. We'll so please later. convince her. Yes, convince her to do we'll it. We'll talk later. So you have to have in. good people. I will, I'll blame we'll, the people. We'll, blame yes. the people. But we will, we will talk. Um, yeah. But there will be there may be shenanigans and very difficult decisions for our paladin. Uh-oh. Well, she so I took a level of artificer when we leveled when Serena was still the DM, and she wears a ring under her armor that belonged to her wife. And her oath of vengeance is because her wife was killed in front of her, so oh. she wants to find that person. God, I knew you were going to say something terrible like that. I know. Wait, what happened to her wife? <laughs> yeah, so that has markedly changed her. Yeah. Um, but this ring belonged to her wife, and so that ring now is has a spirit with it, and 
it is trying to be her conscience, but in Avernus, that's really difficult. <laughs> I love yes. all that. I love I all that. So uh, what's great about the, the you know, rivals in general, but also just how Cicero is doing this, is that he's blending in stuff from the adventure, but making yeah. it you know, com- wholly his own and building off the characters and things like yep. that. Hopefully folks who are watching uh, get inspired to want to get the adventure and, and jump in yeah. and do that same thing. I mean, there's so many ways that you can play with uh, with hell and, and vengeance yeah. and, and yep. that questionable, you know, Extreme. morality and all that stuff. Because for anyone who's watched the show or seen some of season four, there's a lot we don't know about his character pair in Underbow. Mm. And there's a lot of, oh, maybe you're not actually who we thought you were at all. Yeah. Oh, that's so. interesting to see, like, how his, you know, forward-facing personality as a ham and, and blah, blah, blah actually is hiding something else. Yeah. So, I mean, because his character's a bard. Yeah. And I did not know bards could be that dark. Bards could be super dark. I yeah. played once that was like a, a basically an unscrupulous theater manager that was like, I don't care. It's all about getting you know yeah. getting the the talent for the show. That's all that mattered. And I was like, this field. I, I only played like two sessions of it, but I was like, oh gosh, I, don't like I went down some dark paths. <laughs> like vicious mockery and dissonant whispers. I'm oh. like, oh boy. That's what my dissonant whisper sounds like. Also, the devil's mustard. That's also what that yeah, sounds like. squirting the devil's mustard into a little jar to uh, be used. What's anti anti ASMR? That's what we're doing. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Yeah. I don't feel relaxed. I feel horrible. I don't know why I got the heebie-jeebies. Uh, well, I'm hoping uh, people are. Ju- I'm loving hearing everyone's stories about uh, playing Baldur's Gate Descend to Avernus. It's out now, of course. Uh, yes. The dice are uh, a big. Hit with people, we see them flying off shells. People are are jumping into uh, using the, not only just for the dice, but all the uh, accoutrements the that come with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the miscellany. The miscellany. Uh, I love all that stuff. So you can pick those up in uh, any game store that you are in, as well as some of the big box stores. So I would jump in before they get they get sold out. Who knows? Um, we have talked a lot about the uh, Battle for Baldur's Gate expansion, uh, which Dungeon is Mayhem. super fun for mm. Dungeon Mayhem. Uh, very excited about that. Jake Parker is actually going to be on uh, Dragon Plus. Dra- uh, doing Dungeons some... and Doodles. Exactly. Yay! That's really exciting. He did the artwork for the new characters of Jahira and... Minsk and Boo. Minsk and Boo. Yeah. Very good stuff. Are we still in October? Yes. yes. So it's Ish. still Inktober. That's right. right. And that is uh, an initiative that Jake Parker started. I loved all the prompts. A lot of people, uh, uh, some coworkers here who have just been using the Inktober prompts to do uh, D&D art, and it's been really oh, cool to see cool. them sharing all their oh, sketches awesome. and that's awesome. I'm excited for him to be on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Rick and Morty versus Dungeon Dragons 2, The Painscape. Yes. Um, I think there's two issues out today. Uh, so jump into that. It's a four-issue miniseries. Uh, issue one and issue two are available now, so jump in. The release date is no longer TBA, as it's being displayed right now uh, in visual form, but it is out now, Should so go to your uh, comic book shop and pick it up. It's basically what's happening in the Rick and Morty universe if Dungeons & Dragons was uh, ubiquitous. And part of me was like, isn't that already happening? That's Prime your brain. Everyone knows about the D and the D right now. For what's mm-hmm. about to happen. Exactly. In Rick and Morty and D&D land. Yeah, so talk about that. November 19th, Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty tabletop role-playing game adventure. Bum, dun, bum, dun, bum. Everything you need to have an amazing adventure DM'd by Rick himself. And you get to play the characters from the show, um, plus a very special uh, character that we created for you to round out your party. You're going to need him. His name is... 
I'm not going to tell you. Oh, come on. Spoiler. You were just about to. Meat face. Meat face. (laughs) (laughs) This meat face. Okay. Does he have meat for a face? You just have to meet meat face. All right. Yeah. Who who created that character? Probably Kate. Kate Welch. Kate Welch was the lead designer. Um, Ari Levitt and Adam Lee. Like two like super sweet, nice, quiet guys. Mm Mm-hmm. No. Not so they much. have a sick, wonderful sense of humor. Oh my god, they did amazing work on this. Sweet. All Rick and Morty fans, so they were very familiar with, with the IP and um, it's just it's wonderful. November nineteenth for that. Uh but before that comes out, uh Tyranny of Dragons. I went out of order. I know. Well, Sorry. I, no, it's it's perfect. Uh, Tyranny of Dragons is coming out October 22nd, so that's very it's like soon. like seconds away. Maybe even by the time you hear this, uh, it'll be in game stores. It's only available there. It is mashing up two adventures that were the first adventures released during Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition oh. in 2014. So it's got Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat together into one Ooh. volume. It's a hefty volume. It's got an amazing cover designed by Hydro 74 that kind of matches the Volo's Guide to Monsters and Xanathar's Guide kind of look and beautiful. feel to it. It is beautiful. When somebody gets that tattooed on their back, you got to send me a picture. A lower back only, please. <laughs> Why lower back only? Because <laughs> no, it seems more ridiculous. Oh, my God. It's so big, though. <laughs> you say that and watch someone get a tattoo. Somebody's this one probably it. already does. I'm ben probably... Affleck has a big dragon tattoo on his back. Uh, five dragon it heads of different chromatic... I've never seen it close enough. <laughs> Don't want to. Because you're usually in front of him. Right. Yeah. Right. We're usually talking face to face. You and Ben. Talking about Kesha. Oh, my, my gosh. daughter. <laughs> oh, my God. I think you really are just uh, uh, Tiamat in, in corporeal form. I would love to be. Oh, my God. You have been that like pro be Tiamat. the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> she's a dragon, so she's got the yes. ability to uh, polymorph into a human. So there you go. That's what Shelly is. So can you grant wishes as Tiamat? Yes. Mm-hmm. But I am not Tiamat right now. This is what it sounds like when I turn into Tiamat. Pop, 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 pop. That's Wait, all my head's popping up. <laughs> I was like, where's this going? <laughs> I was like, is that an Uzi? What are you doing? <laughs> no. That's the sound that that's... dragon heads make when they pop out. Oh, okay. Or when, when pipples are. No. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. No. I'm going on the gross thing. All right. Never mind. Keeping up with the theme. It's very close to Halloween, so it's just gory. Yeah. It's just gory and gross. Yeah. Uh, so, right. October 22nd, Tyranny of Dragons. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's where we went <laughs> off of that tangent. Um, but what's really important is the like 30 pages of concept art that are in the back of the Tyranny of Dragons book is super fun for anybody who wanted to know what it's like to develop games essentially because there's Ooh. there's like you know sketches and drawings and things that were all about like the anatomical differences between the chromatic dragons and their heads as well as like notes about like oh this is what this wing shape looks like versus this wing shape and things like yeah. that uh, and it's really laid out in a beautiful way of course uh, the graphic designers Trish Yocum and Amy Emmy Tanji did a fantastic job putting it together as and it looks huge. glorious so um, that's my favorite part of, of uh, this movie, and too. it's the part that nobody's seen yet. Uh, it's like the you know, uh, uh, it's it's brand new. So uh, we've never showed concept art like that. I think in the past. Ooh, so I think we really should new. again. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. We should, um, especially if it's displayed like that. I especially like the notes and things. Like yeah, that. me too. Why this changed or? Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's like looking at those um, those those diagrams of like how stuff works or something like that. But yeah. you're like, oh, but it's for a, a fantasy dragon yes. and how it works. Yeah. How does it work? It's magic. 
I need this book right now. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be October 22nd, but I will definitely uh, show you a copy because we have one in the office. Oh, it looks good. It's on Wes's desk, I believe. <laughs> I'm like, hi, Wes. I'm, I'm sort of here to see you. <laughs> I'm just going to take this now. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, Wes would we'll distract him. him. You take the book. Ooh, uh, that sounds like a D&D plan. He's wily, though. He is wily. <laughs> <laughs> I've known Wes for many years. That's awesome. He is cool. Uh, uh, he is. Uh, we, we talked to him a couple weeks ago about Journey of Dragons and what, a, what yep. the differences are. So uh, that's going to be fun. Um, and then uh, November 19th, also, in addition to the Rick and Morty box set, is... Eberron Rising from the Last War cell date, release date. It has two covers. Standard cover is available everywhere. The, uh, of course, the alternate cover is only available through game stores, so go check it out there. I love that they've got a kind of matched color scheme uh, with this new cover. And then, of course, the original image that we showed when we announced Eberron is also very cool, and this will be the Chapter 1 uh, Illustration, you know, facing illustration too. So that's going to look really awesome uh, for those of you out there. And if you're looking for wallpapers for all of those cover images, you can get them on the D&D website right now. Uh, and I know a lot of people who have those up there. It's, nice. it's good stuff. Uh, and I'm excited about jumping into Eberron because it's this, it's still fantasy, it's still Dungeons and Dragons, but it's got a little bit more modern themes that you can play with, you know, because of the magic as technology aspect. So that's, uh, led to a uh, little bit of a different society than what's uh, portrayed in the Forgotten Realms. So there's like things like newspaper uh, offices run by gnomes and uh, uh, spy organizations that uh, can get into uh, different areas and uh, laugh at people. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I just like flashback to like all the gross stuff we were talking about earlier. <laughs> You just started thinking about <laughs> just, devil's mustard again. Yes, I did. <laughs> and oh like you, like ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that, see, that's now at the point where you're like, do I still have an eye left? Yeah. <laughs> Is it the aqueous really humor sorry. like coming out oh, of it right I don't now? Know. <laughs> just, uh. <laughs> do you ever do that where you're just like walking down the street or, yes. or and you just think of something Off, funny and start laughing? Often I do that too. Yes, and then and then people and just I, veer away from me. I like, like, pretend I'm on the phone. Oh, See, I can't even do that because most of the time my phone's in my pocket. Oh, that's really funny. Do <laughs> <laughs> so you like need to just get ear, and, earbuds? Yeah. Like yeah. just cut wires off of them so people think you have AirPods yeah. and not spend $200? Or just let them know that you're crazy. <laughs> just go with it. I, I, I usually over-explain. I'm like, I was just thinking about something funny my friends said on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was this. And they're like, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, right? Then Devil's mustard. No, they're going, it. uh-huh, as they like go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> they're like... You're like, I'm not weird. Bye. We're also in Seattle. That's true. There's Happens a lot of people talking to themselves. <laughs> Usually kind of come up with uh, uh, D&D characters that they're... Uh, What's well, so hard now because playing. people have wireless everything and you it's really true. don't know. Yeah. Those, I, those pod things are... They, I feel like cyborgs. Because they're so small. They are small. And like if I was wearing them, you'd never see them. <laughs> <laughs> they're always covered up for sure. Well, we were really excited that you were able to stop by and uh, uh, hang out with us. Thanks for coming by, Tanya. Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah. Uh, we should get going to our segment. So let's uh, listen to some lore that Chris Perkins knows and that you will know soon. Can't wait. Can't wait. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. Today on this segment where we delve into a little tidbit of Dungeons & Dragons lore for fun and maybe for using in your game, 
We're going to talk about something that is in Eberron, Rising from the Last War, a book that is going to be in stores on November 19th. Criminal Syndicates in the Continent of Corvair. And we mentioned one on a previous one of these segments uh, that had to do with some halflings. Yes. So most, most of the crime syndicates that we've detailed in Eberron have centered around the city of Sharn. Mm-hmm. For good reason. Sharn is huge. It's full of people of multiple races. And there's all kinds of nefarious shenanigans that happen there. And a uh, little tidbit, all of the music that is used in Dragon Talk is from a album around the city of Sharn that you produced. That's correct, um, with music by David Davidson. So all the bings and bongs that you hear are yes. all from Sharn. Exactly. Well, the, the music was actually um, meant to capture the flavor of a number of different places in Corvair. And uh, like one of the songs is actually themed after the Lord of Blades. Oh, I didn't realize that. Um, but it was sold. The CD was shown. Shown. The CD with the music on it originally was sold in the Sharn City of Towers source book. Right. From third edition. Uh, packed in the back. And if you're lucky enough to find a, a sort of a used copy of the book, you want to check to make sure that that CD is there. Exactly. And then you'll be transported directly into the into criminal the syndicates. Yes, and you can get all kinds of funky music. And so the criminal syndicates that we're going to talk about today, uh, there are four that immediately pop up as the major ones. The first is the Boromar clan, mm-hmm. which we talked about before, the clan of halflings uh, operating in Sharn. And they have by far the biggest... That's the biggest criminal syndicate, probably mm. in all of Corvair. And is it all halflings, or is it just kind of run by halflings? It's run by halflings. Got it. So they do pull in other uh, races to help them with their various tasks, some of which are not really... Halflings have trouble pulling off sometimes. Mm. Um, now, uh, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to really... It's hard to intimidate somebody if you're, you know, 40 pounds. And, sure. Yeah, you know, soaking wet uh, and thin as a reed. Or like going to be a pit fighter. And, exactly, and exactly. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of the Boromar clan, even though they're led by halflings, do employ Warforged, for instance. Oh, interesting. Burly dwarves and half-orcs and whatever they can get their hands on. In some cases, monsters. Um, so the Boromar clan is a family-run criminal syndicate that specializes in nonviolent crime, hmm. mostly uh, blackmail and extortion, theft, and that kind of thing. Fraud. Fraud. They, they rarely, rarely engage in something as, as bloody as murder or as indiscriminately violent as arson, um, and they're not terrorists. Uh, these are... This is basically Sharn's mob. Okay. They, they take good care of their own. They took good care of those who are loyal to them. And they operate through a number of legitimate business interests, not only in the city but abroad, although Sharn really is their, their bread and butter, and that's where the, the heads of the family reside. Mm-hmm. The leader of this clan is the halfling godfather, a man named Sedan Boromar, uh, who is... As lovable as any halfling you could possibly meet. Um, a very caring man with a very large family who's dedicated not only to his family but to the continuation of this thing that he's created. And did it start with him? Was he the, the founder of it? Yeah, yeah. 
And he is a lover of food and drink, just like he all is. halflings. Yes, he is. He loves all the good stuff. And he, he, a lot of his fronts, a lot of his legitimate businesses are public places that one would want to visit mm. because of the entertainment value that they provide, be it gambling halls and fest halls to feast halls. And, uh, you know, they also own warehouses so that, that people have to pay money to store things in. And they're very secure, obviously. Mm. Probably the most secure of any warehouses you can get. Uh, they offer cell swords for if you need somebody to walk you to work, you know, in the in the cogs because it's dangerous and you might get killed. You can go to the Boromar clan and they'll hook you up with a bodyguard. Oh, okay. That's uh, nice of them. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. For uh, a price? For, for a very modest price. Oh, really? They're not... They're they not... Don't... They don't go out of the... They don't... If you... If you... If you... Get behind on your payment or if you're unable to pay and you have to deal with their loan sharks, things can get a little messy and dicey. Um, but if you have the money to pay, they are, they are good people to work with. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, it sounds been. like they're, they don't want to hurt anyone. No, no. They really go out of their way not to. Um, I think where things get messy is when there's conflict with others who are encroaching upon what they consider to be their territory. I see. Other criminal syndicates trying to hedge them out. That's when things can get messy. Would you say that the uh, the head? What was his name? Saban. Sedan. Uh, Sedan. Yeah. Um, you know, would, would he's, is he like a chaotic good type of alignment? That's or? a good question. Um, I think we actually note that in the book. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, I can't remember. I think he might be true neutral. True neutral. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's kind of odd for a, for a halfling. A little bit. Um, and part of that rationale, I think, is because. Even though they're engaged in everything from petty crime to extortion and other sort of nonviolent forms of criminal activity and pressure, they also have bought, for the most part, the Sharn Watch. Oh. Um, They've got the, the police in, yeah. their, in their pockets. Yeah. And so once you start getting in that, it really becomes shades of gray. Yeah. Uh, and so you can't really say he's good. Not evil, but, but not good. Got it. Uh, and and so anybody who lives in Sharn kind of knows if they are not at all if they're just completely clueless they wouldn't but if they if they've lived in there for if you've lived in Sharn for some time you know that the city watch is corrupt you know that the person the representative or um, person you're talking to has probably been bought and paid for by the Boromar clan which is why if an, if somebody comes up and starts to stir up trouble with the Boromar clan it's usually the Sharn watch that comes down on them first ooh okay interesting. Yeah. How did this uh, grow during the last war? I assume it was kind of yeah. It sort of it sort of came out of that, um, and uh, like like all criminal syndicates, the Barmar clan took advantage of the thing that happens when people become polarized against one another um, and start to see start to let fear rule their lives. Mm. They come in and say, "You don't have to be afraid." We will protect you. We will take care of you. Everything will be all right. We'll get through this together. And the next thing you know, you're paying them money and your your daughter is getting married to someone in the Boromar clan. And so ties are being established that can't be broken. Mm-hmm. And there's just no escape at that point. And there's uh, uh, newspaper writers coming to your wedding and you throw it down and throw some money at them. Exactly, and, yeah. yes. And then some Voromar person will come to you with blood covering his neck and face and say, I need, I need you to hide me for three days 
you know, yeah. wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and suddenly you are in something that you didn't expect. All right. Well, there's like four or five different adventure hooks right there. Exactly. Uh, all right. So what, uh, what are some of the other uh, criminal syndicates in I'm Corvair? glad you asked. Another good one is Dask. D-A-A-S-K. Dask. Dask. Dask is good. Dask is not good. <laughs> Dask is evil. <laughs> so um, there is a nation that is west of Sharn, um, west of Breland, called Droam. Droam. It is not recognized by the Treaty of Thronehold, and the reason it's not recognized, it wasn't recognized after the last war, is because it's basically a nation of monsters. Hmm. Under the, under the thrall of a trio of hags. Interesting. So Dusk was born out of Droam. What it is, is it, a, it is a coalition operating in Sharn of monsters of Droam. Bugbears, gnolls, harpies, minotaurs, oh. gargoyles, just a hodgepodge of crazy-ass monsters that are intelligent that have basically taken root in Sharn and have created a criminal organization uh, uh, all of which uh, Dask's goal is to basically hedge out all the criminal organizations that are competing against them and to feed information and money and secrets and anything else they think get their hands on to the daughters of Sorakel, the hags of Droam who rule their country. Okay. So they are, they are an example of an external arm of a country operating in a foreign nation to the betterment of that country. Interesting. Okay. It would be like Ukrainian mobsters operating out of New York. Okay. <laughs> Topical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so their ties are back in another nation. Right. But they're conducting their criminal enterprises in this foreign soil. Right. Okay. Makes uh, sense. And uh, because they're monsters, their ethics and morals are all screwed up. And so they really don't have any compunction about murdering people if those people get in right. the way of their goals. One less human to deal with. Exactly. And, um, but there's enough intelligent masterminding behind Dask and enough disorganization that it's hard to take out the entire organization or know even what its members or bounds are. Mm -hmm. Because you might have a cell of Dask over here operating under a knoll, say, which is just basically abducting people, prying the secrets out of their head and then killing them Mm -hmm. and throwing their corpses in a furnace somewhere. And then there might be another arm of Dask over here doing something completely different. Maybe it's run by an Oni or somebody else uh, that's doing its own thing. And those two, arm, those two arms may never actually interact. Or somebody from some one of the sisters of, Sor- one of the sisters of Sorakel might say, okay, you guys and you guys, I need you to both work together to do this thing. Oh, right. In which case they might then come together and you got this monster mash. <laughs> Halloween is the, the time for a monster mash. <laughs> you did the mash. Uh, so how do they communicate with the daughters of Sorakel? Is there some kind of a magical link? Yeah, there's um, one of the daughters is uh, can send out, essentially communicates through dreams. Oh. And so a lot I of I guess the, it's a hag that, that's yes. a benefit to, exactly. to being... <laughs> so a lot, of the, a lot of the messages they get are through, essentially, creepy hag dreams. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a... That's... Uh, yeah. yeah. Terrible. Yes. So uh, well, so, good adversaries, I guess. If you're, if you're, yes. Uh, and the great thing about them is, you can just kind of fling a bunch of evil monsters together and say "dask," and off you go. <laughs> right, but yes. then you can almost piece together afterwards why they were doing, it, or the, the players right. can try to do that. Yes, and you suddenly realize, oh well, the reason why this Minotaur is working with this Noel and this Gargoyle is because they're all part of the same 
root problem. And that root problem isn't something we can kill because it's way the hell over here in this other country. Interesting. So that's kind of scary. Does DASC, is it an acronym or? or no. Nope. It's, just, it's just a weird word. Just a weird word. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That makes it even funnier because you're yes. like, or, well, not funnier, but yes. more uh, mysterious. Yes. Like, what is DASC? There, there, may be an, a, there may be a translation of Dask in Keith's mind. I can't, I can't remember. I don't remember. I never knew. All right. Well, I'm going to send him a, a hag dream and see if he can Please hear do. it. <laughs> All uh, right. What's the, uh, the third? Uh, a third one uh, to, to call attention to is House Tarkanon. They operate out of Sharn, but they also have representatives elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, as you know, there are dragon marks in Eberron, and figure, they figure prominently in Corvair, and the dragon-marked houses of which there are 12, have basically carved out their own monopolies based on what the magic of their dragon mark can let them do. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out there are also things in Eberron called aberrant dragon marks. And people don't really know exactly how they come to be. There may be some, there's some suspect that the Dalekir, these weird Far Realmsian, Zoriashian creatures, uh, create them or foster them or spread them or whatever. But basically there are weird dragon marks um, the dragon-marked houses don't generally want them around. Nobody wants them around because these aberrant dragon marks let people do things that are usually kind of bad. Mm. Um, house Tarkanon is this house, this dragon-marked house, uh, made up of aberrant dragon-marked individuals and others who are trying to protect them. Okay. And their goal is basically to protect these aberrant dragon marks if they see, if they hear that somebody has been born with one or somebody suddenly has manifested one, they will go out into Corvair, fetch that person and offer them protection and bring them back into the fold um, as a member or a protect, as a protectee of the house. And in the course of doing this, of course, they get into all sorts of conflicts and stuff like that. But the other thing House Darkhanon does is, like all criminal syndicates, in order to finance these activities that they do, the searching for the Aberrant Dragon Marks, the protecting of the Aberrant Dragon Marks, the taking out of anybody who threatens these individuals. And sometimes those individuals are kings and queens. Um, They need financing and they get it through all sorts of criminal activities. Do they use the Aberrant Dragon Marks powers in order to... Whenever they can. ...fuel their operations? Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, so it almost feels like uh, 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 supervillains. They are, and one of the reasons they feel like supervillains is because of their magical abilities and because the Aberrant Dragon Mark is flexible enough as a DM that you can have it do weird things and scale it up accordingly. Like if you, if you say, okay, my adventure is going to be built around a person who has manifested an Aberrant Dragon Mark that lets them look like anybody they want to, mm. like changeling style, yeah. then that person is very dangerous in a political campaign because they could replace, you know, um, captains of the guard. They could replace sovereigns. They can replace anybody. Yeah, it's a Manchurian candidate. Exactly, and yeah. that Manchurian candidate story fits so neatly into an Eberron pulp noir kind of setting Absolutely. Uh, that the, the stories, story possibilities are ripe. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then it's up. Uh, DMs can kind of make up whatever aberrant dragon exactly. mark power could be. Yes. You know. Yes. So. And you mentioned they're, they kind of tend toward being horrible. <laughs> um, ten, generally speaking, yes. Um, sometimes it may not seem like the the mark can be misused, but if these guys can find a way to misuse it, they right. will. 
they absolutely will. It's right there, that idea, like, oh, the invisible man is... Yeah, is, exactly. All right, yeah, no, you just turn invisible, but, like, what could you do... Precisely. ...if you, there's no one can see you? All yes. of a sudden, uh, yes. yes. All right, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, is there a leader? Is there someone who's, who's guiding the goals of what this group is doing? Oh, that's a good question. Let me just check my notes here. Uh, there, is a, there is somebody who's leading that organization currently, and I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But she is in the book that we're talking about uh, this, okay. this rising from the last war. Um, let's see if I can just find her name quickly. I would assume that they also have a aberrant dragon mark on their own, and that's... I, I honestly don't think she has one. Oh, uh, Thora, that's her name. Thora. Thora Tarkanon. Um, so, she might or she might not. Good old Thora. <laughs> I love you, Thora. Yeah. I can't don't find, hurt me. Can't find it in my notes. Don't turn invisible and kill me. Can't find it in my notes, but she's, she's kind of leading things these days. Um, she is the leader of House Tarkanon, and she's super not nice. So their, their whole goal, uh, or her whole goal, is just to meet new and find new members of, mm-hmm. and, and, and bring them into the fold, as you yep. said. And yep. that fold is generally in Sharn? Yes. That's, do they have like a yeah, house? They, they, or they, like base, a, they base themselves out of Sharn. Uh, they don't. Uh, they're not. They're not uh, acknowledged as a legitimate dragon-marked house, mm-hmm. even though they've done things. Goes gone as far as to create a, a, a lot of the same iconography that other dragon-marked houses use and stuff like that. Their symbol, by the way, is a beholder. Interesting. Yes. Are they like their aberrations? They're kind of yeah exactly. grabbing a hold of that as their as yeah. their yeah. interesting. Yeah. All right, neat. There's another. Uh, the other organization, organization I was going to talk about sort of goes well beyond um, Sharn because the, the first three I talked to are very Sharn specific, and there are other Sharn specific ones that mm-hmm. I could talk about. Um, there's there's an organization of changelings Ooh. in Sharn that's very spooky and interesting because they can all look like somebody else. Yeah, uh, but I'll, I want to do really kind of uh, talk about the Orum. Orum. Yes, A U. R-U-M. R-U-M. Because they are a Corvair-wide organization, and they are kind of like, in a way, like the stonemasons. They okay. kind of put up a front of legitimacy in a way, but you sort of get the sense that there's something going on at the surface. There's a, it's almost got a secret society feel under there. If you're in, you're in. Right. Um, so the, the eye on the pyramid. Exactly. So it's a... The Orum is like a secretive uh, members-only social club. And its members... Its highest-ranking members are in very powerful positions in various governments and other organizations across all of Corvair and are seen as not only engaging in criminal conspiracies on a continental scale, uh, but are also involved in the manipulation of events of the last war, may have had a hand in things in some of the dramatic turns of events during the last war, but we don't know for sure... Because anybody, they're so secretive, they're so secretive, and anybody who comes forward with information disappears or dies very, or oh. both very quickly, and so um, it seems at, like they're playing on that conspiracy theory. Type exactly of, of this sort of this sort of it's bigger than all of us, yeah, yeah. kind of deal. Uh, but it it really boils down to um, wealth. Mm. So not to draw too many parallels to the modern day, <laughs> but the, the oligarchies that are sort of sprouting up now and um, governments who are in the pockets of these wealth hoarders, that's very much kind of what the Orem is all about. 
I it's see. like we are the responsible ones. We are the ones who should chart the future of this world. Mm-hmm. The only way we can do that is if we control the flow of money and we control the flow of information and we control the flow of everything. And that's why they're in every single Exactly, stadium. yes. And so they're trying to make inroads whenever they can, but unlike, say, a dragon-marked house, which has all this magic of the dragon marks to power them, a lot of them are just normal individuals who don't have any special ability to do what they're doing other than the fact that they have money. I see. So it's like um, yes. uh, the actual syndicate from the X-Files. Yes. Right? That is a really good analogy. Yeah, exactly. They have money. They don't have any special thing. They yes. just have uh, the, the ability to... Uh, Mess with things on a grand scale. Yes. And uh, the way that they differentiate themselves, so members of the Orem are called Concordians and the way that they, because the Orem Concord is actually the full name. Mm-hmm. But the way that they distinguish themselves is uh, they identify with different levels. So you graduate up through levels of the Orem until oh. you hit like the gold Concord. And once you're up to that level, you are calling the shots. You are in the room with the three or four other individuals who basically are the big wigs of the organization. So it's also got like a uh, Scientology feel to it oh, as well. Bit. Yeah, so you got the, you're in you the copper concord, and now you got to pay to get into the silver concord, and then right. you have to pay to get into the gold concord, um, and probably have to take out a few Orem Concordians in order to get there. And not directly, of course, because you never want to be implicated in the deaths of your peers. Of course not. But if they die and you get noticed and elevated to their position, that's so much the better. Well, uh, all four of these... Uh, Organizations feel like great adversaries for uh, yeah. the player characters in uh, any kind of campaign you set. And it really on. sort of measure it's they can be they're sort of calibrated at different levels so that you get the kind of criminal organization enemy that you want mm. from the world spanning syndicate of the Orem right down to just the petty monsters murdering you for some hag's benefit yeah. to the more uh, erudite and astute Boromar clan. You've got quite a range. To yeah. play with there. And then if you're a roguey type character or someone who would be involved in these type of syndicates, you've got yes. you know, a, a large number to, to play with. And some of them lend themselves better to having characters as members than other. The Boromar is legitimate enough that you could imagine your character being associated with the clan yeah. and still be good aligned. Yeah. It gets a little bit dicier once you get to Dask. And you're like, why am I hanging out with this Minotaur? I don't know. Right, but then you could also be the... Keeps the, pulling people's uh, heads a, off. A former uh, member of Dask that's a reformed... Yes, exactly. You certainly could. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was rebelling against and same with, with, with you know, the Oromar or anything like that. that yes. Like, okay, and yeah. if, if you're a character who has a secret about the Orom, that could be, that could fuel an entire campaign as Orom operatives are basically trying to take you out. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I love having a whole X-Files type of uh, mm-hmm. uh, campaign now in Eberron that's yeah. trying to find out who's calling the shots. Right. Who, you know, maybe that, the, the, that group, the Concordians, were the ones who were behind the Moorlands. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Follow the money. Yeah. Exactly. Seems to make sense. Uh, I want to ask so many more follow-up questions, but I think we're running out of time, uh, as we always do on, on these Lore You Should Know. So uh, perhaps we'll delve in more, or you can just find out more when Eberron, Rising from the Last War, comes out on November 19th. Yes. Or you can ask Chris Perkins yes. on Twitter. Yes. At Chris Perkins DND. Yeah. I'm just going to start saying it now. <laughs> yes. Uh, of if course. You want to know about my criminal past? Ask me on Twitter. <laughs> ask him about uh, uh, his favorite X Files episode. Oh, I have I have a few, but there's definitely one favorite. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll delve Do into you that. Do I know what it is? What is it? Jose Chung's from Outer Space. I don't remember that one. It's from season three. It's um, it's the it's the trippy one with uh, Charles Nelson Riley. Oh. Which gets the which sort of is a point of view thing. Nice. Where he's interviewing, for, he's, he's writing a book called From Outer Space, 
and he's interviewing Scully about a case. Oh, I'm remembering this now. Yeah, I think that might have been one of the like my my earliest ones. I yeah. haven't rewatched it's, it. It's since the one it with um, Jesse Ventura and Alex Trebek as yes. Man Black. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, my second favorite episode is Home, which is just messed up. That's about the Peacock family. Oh, inbred. Ugh. Pennsylvanians. Yeah. yeah. One of the, um, the, the monster of the week ones. Yeah. yeah. Really creepy. All right. Well, everyone go watch uh, all of the <laughs> X-Files up until season five and uh, then get Eberron and use all that in that book. Excellent. All right. Thank you, go. everybody. We'll be back with some more lore on Eberron and other things to come. Bye-bye. Bye. That was a very good lore segment. I feel like I know at least 33% more lore than I did before I, yeah. listening I'm to like that. maybe 17%. 17, well, did you listen to it? I had to tune out halfway through. <laughs> wow. Because you had to do some work? I had to go to work. <laughs> and then you came back and you're like, oh, okay. Now yes. I know these things. Yeah. Excellent. Now I'm, yeah. Um, what about you? Did you do you know more now, Tanya? I know ten percent more lore. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm finding that middle ground between your thirty three and Shelly's seventeen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're finding it. We're making it happen. But between all of us, it's almost fifty percent more yeah. lore. That's true, right? It, it's additive. Yeah. Yeah. We'd make a great party. That's right. We would. And you you really do need to talk to Shelly and get her to start Dungeon Master. Yes. Just that easy. It could be a new show. <sighs> That's one of the segments we're thinking about making up. It's going to be a thing. We Soon we'll have we do it. Shelly's tips. Shelly's giving me such a look. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> That's just her nervous look. That's just my face. <laughs> no, that was, that was How the, dare you? Well, that was, that was the, I'm going to talk to you later. Like, I've gotten that look from a mother enough times. Where I'm like, that's the, wait till we're, wait till we're done do with the this show. The smile. Mm-hmm. Tanya? Yep. We'll talk later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so stop bringing it up right now. <laughs> Aren't I good at it? That's yes. very good. Learn from the best. If I was Quinn, I'd be very, very upset. You're going to stop talking about dungeon mastering right now. No. Yes, you are. <laughs> and then a little pinch on the tricep. Yeah. Well, you know who can give you... I did, by the way, not me. My mom did that to me. I don't do that to <laughs> Let's be clear. I have never laid a hand on that child. That wasn't a soft, loving mommy hand. <laughs> I like the, the CYA is, is perfect, then. Yeah, <laughs> just in case. Uh, well, uh, that is a perfect segue. Is it? Thanks, Shelley. Uh, into <laughs> all types of things about, uh, you know, I mean, uh, to be quite honest, po- problem areas that may pop up with uh, playing tabletop games. You saved it. Good job. Yeah, right? And, yes. you know, we don't always think about that. And, and uh, I think one person who did a great job of, of elevating... That type of the conversation is Kiana Shaw, and she is our guest, so I can't wait to uh, call her up and start talking. You ready? Yeah. Agreed. You ready for yeah. this? All right, let's do it. All right. Kiana Shaw is here. Yay! Yay! Woo-hoo-hoo! Hello! <laughs> you are a uh, prolific tabletop designer and streamer and uh, thinker. Uh, what, what are some of the things that uh, uh, people might know you from? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I am all over the internet. Uh, you probably recognize me in chat, at Kiana S. It's pretty much what I go by everywhere, so you also see me on Twitter doing that. Um, but I am part of the teams on Tales from the Grim. Uh, I'm also a cast member on WebDM as part of their live streams there. Uh, I also uh, do... I'm 
I guest on podcasts. I also write uh, indie games and D&D adventures on DMs Guild, which you probably might have seen uh, in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I released a couple things then. So I I do a lot. <laughs> and I and also probably people know me uh, from the uh, TTRPG Safety Toolkit, uh, which I co-created with Lauren Bryant Monk. Uh, so yeah, I, I do a lot of things on the internet. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. <laughs> And they're all related to this, you know, this this uh, uh, growing community of, of of tabletop gamers out there. Um, mm-hmm. Where, you know, with all that stuff, where did you get your start? When did you first play D anD D, and how did it, you know, spark your creativity? Yeah. So actually, um, I consider myself uh, part of the new generation of tabletop gamers, uh, where I got introduced to it via live streaming. It, it exactly live streaming on this channel on twitch.tv slash dnd nice uh when it was not just dnd it was wizards dnd or something like that yeah uh, but yeah so um i actually got introduced to it uh, by watching other people doing it i follow some people that i liked on the internet to these shows uh and then after uh, this was about three years ago so after watching them for a bit i was like i want to I could do that. I want to try doing that. Uh, so yeah, so I started playing about three years ago, and I've been streaming for about two and a half of those. Uh, so that that's kind of where it all started. Uh, was, what was by your... seeing other cool people doing it. <laughs> I'm surprised that it's only been three years. Yeah, yeah. It's um, <laughs> I had really to count right for in. a second. I was like, oh yeah, it has only been three years. But you were designing games or writing for games mm-hmm. before then, I would imagine. Um, not really. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I I have some of my bases in interactive fiction, uh, and uh, I've done a lot of creative stuff in school. um, But yeah, I mean, I think uh, Tabletop, once I got introduced to it, became one of my main creative outlets, um, which was good, because I was uh, in first year of university when I first got introduced to D&D. Hi, I'm a baby. <laughs> I'm small. <laughs> Three years ago, I'm doing that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's Math. only a couple of years older than Shelly. Right, right. We're, like, basically the same age. <laughs> We're basically the same age. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it became kind of, like, a great way, uh, especially when I was in those years of transitioning to a new school, a new city, and all that stuff for me to uh, be creative and to connect with other people uh, and especially connect with people online. So um, it's kind of become this whole big thing for me uh and yeah that's really great lot, i mean lots I, of things I, have happened yeah it, 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 yeah but i'm just right looking at your at your credits that you've done in those three years i mean that's sometimes uh, it feels like more than people do in their whole lifetime so you know kudos to you for for packing it all in so i have a question mm-hmm. because you'll this will surprise you i'm not actually your age i know <laughs> <laughs> but um so you were introduced to D&D or uh, TRPGs through streaming. And then like six months or so later, you did, you started streaming yourself. Is this a thing with your generation? I mean, like, is, is, it, is it common that a lot of people I, are introduced <laughs> to games by watching other people play them? And also, is live streaming just something that is like so natural to somebody? Like, it just feels like you're my showing generation your age. You're showing your age, Shelly. <laughs> In my generation, we didn't actually even have computers. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it just seems like like you were just like, yeah, that seems like something I'm going to do. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess for for people of my generation, I say being 22. Um, <laughs> it's a different generation. Um, I think a lot of it is that, yeah, if we do get introduced to a lot of media uh, via live streams, um, not just tabletop, obviously, but video yeah. games um, are all kind of things that we uh, we consume uh, online. Um, so, you know, live streams or actual plays on YouTube. Um, I think it really started picking up kind of when I was in high school, as I was saying. And then, of course, like, I guess in my generation um, or, you know, um, younger people um, are also uh, on social media so much yeah. earlier. And a lot of these social media sites um, are pretty, you know, uh, have the capacity for live streaming, even if they're not a live streaming platform. Um, and, you know, kind of uh, encourage that, you know, live interfacing uh, that happens. So I, I can see, you know, that, yes, this is kind of a natural thing. Uh, for me, jumping into streaming uh, so quickly, uh, I didn't go into my own channel first. Um, I started off on Encounter Roleplay, actually. Um, nice. They have a open viewer. They had an open viewer game when I was uh, a viewer of theirs. Um, and I was, at the time, I actually start, I started playing D&D uh, with one session of being a player uh, with that campaign I quickly noped out of because of uh, some toxic uh, behavior in there. Uh, and then the only way I was going to get a D&D game was by DMing it. Yep. <laughs> so I was, I was DMing. Uh, for a good six months, uh, only having learned how to play D&D by watching things uh, and watching live streams. Um, and then I um, asked, and I was like, you know, but I want to find people to play with uh, and be a player because um, as much as I love DMing storytelling, I want to have that experience as well. Uh, so when I saw that uh, there was this opening for, you know, you didn't have, need to any, have an experience, uh, all you needed to do was, you know, make a character and want to play, um, like, sure, I'll give that a go, uh, I say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a few of those viewer game one shots uh, later, I got asked to be a permanent cast member. Um, and then everything went from there. Uh, I, I went from about one or two shows a week uh, to at, at some point last year, I was going five to seven. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. While you were still in school, too? While I was still in school. Um, and even while I was still, when I was writing my undergrad thesis, um, that's what I was doing. <laughs> wow. What, did, what, was your, what were you studying in undergrad? Uh, I studied a program called Knowledge Integration at the University of Waterloo. Um, it's okay. Nobody knows what KI is. So I, I have a 30... We develop a 30-second elevator pitch in this program to explain what it is. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so it's going to be useful right now. Just like this. Yeah, right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's a fairly new program uh, that's an interdisciplinary program. So math, science, arts, only one. It's pretty similar to high school that you need to have, you know, X amount of Englishes, X amount of math, X amount of sciences, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the most important part is that uh, there's the core courses that happen uh, within this program that teach you how to uh, design, think, uh, problem solve, um, co communicate and collaborate across different disciplines and really teach you how to uh, look at knowledge and uh, make it accessible. Uh, so learning how to communicate uh, complex ideas uh, simply and making sure that you're able to talk with other people and communicate that knowledge across different, you know, expertise and disciplines because real world problems are not one discipline. You can't look at like 
a single thing and go, yes, this is only a math problem, or yes, this is only a science problem, yes, this is only a philosophy problem. Uh, most of our real-world problems are kind of a mix. Uh, so uh, this program kind of teaches you how to um, develop those soft skills to talk uh, with people, encourage to talk uh, other people, talk with each other. Uh, so in that program, I did a whole bunch of things, including designing a museum exhibit, oh, cool. uh, which went up for a week uh, in third year, uh, and an undergrad thesis, uh, which I did about D&D live streaming. Oh, because... interesting. <laughs> yeah. I've always loved, too, the idea that tabletop games are similar to what you're talking about. They involve so many mm-hmm. different disciplines. Like, you know, you, it, there's the, the math of the mechanics. There's the storytelling. There's the, the you know, wealth of lore. There's the art and the crafting yeah. that, you know, Dungeon Masters can do. So uh, I think that's really cool to be able to, uh, and I can see how you're gravitated to jumping right into that community based on, on, your, on your studies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think the, the most important one is the, the communicating uh, simple, uh, communicating complex ideas simply mm-hmm. uh, in an accessible way and collaborating with people. I think those are like the skills that I really took from uh, my program and brought over uh, into uh, the t- tabletop world um, and uh, really forms a lot of my own philosophies of how I exists within the space, I guess, is the right way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And well, and I think it's something that uh, was really needed, you know, in the community. So I'm, I'm really excited that, uh, you know, you were able to jump in and say like, okay, you know, this is, there's different parts of the, of the community who may not speak to each other. Uh, you know, they're just, pe- people might have been used to just the insular, you know, g- you know table groups or, or uh, a smaller communities at a single friendly local game store or something like that. But then, you are bringing the ability to communicate across the entire, you know, community through all the online tools, which I think is, is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, going back a little bit to what you were saying about the uh, group that you joined and there was some toxic behavior, uh, you know, these topics are always hard to talk about, but I think it's, it's important to address some of that, you know, head on. And I think you got, you, you have done that for sure. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, what, 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 can you talk a little bit more specifically about what was going on in that game? Yeah, sure. So um, kind of going from live streaming to finding a game was a very weird process. <laughs> I didn't know where to start. Um, I wasn't on a lot of social media back then. Um, I was on Twitter, but I wasn't really using it. I'm sure if you scrolled up back far enough, you could see my random tweets about whatever from back <laughs> then. But um, I didn't really use Twitter as a way to engage with the tabletop community at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't on Reddit uh, or anything. Uh, and then I was told, hey, maybe check out Roll20. So I did. Um, and I kind of just applied to a bunch of groups, um, not really knowing what I was doing. Um, right. And I got into this one group. Um, and I happened to be uh, one of the only uh, femmes in that group uh, and one of the only new players. Um, so yeah, so being in that game, uh, it was okay uh, for our like informal session zero. It was really just to hang out and just like talk to each other. So we're not complete strangers when we first play together. Um, and I had one guy who kept hitting on me. And I'm like, I have a partner. I have a partner. I have a partner. Please stop asking me out. It's very uncomfortable. But like, I wasn't really going to say that explicitly because, you know, what if that was going to mess up the game? Um, and mm. then we had our first session, uh, which included, uh, which only had half the group, um, but included guy who was hitting on me, me and the DM. Uh, and we were introduced into the game via a, um, what I could only call a, a nightmare sequence. 
Um, and immediately in this nightmare sequence, uh, there was some pretty graphic content on sexual assault uh, and sexual violence. And I went, no, no, no. Um, and um, I didn't have a way to really comfortably say that I wasn't okay with it. Uh, and so I made up an excuse about work. And I was like, sorry, I can't play with you guys anymore. I've got a new work opportunity. And that was the first time I ever used Discord. Uh, and I, I uninstalled Discord uh, for several months because I was afraid that they were going to come and find me uh, oh. and kind of see that like that was a thing. Um, I mean, there were also other things within that game that, you know, uh, they talked to me kind of in a patronizing way because I didn't know the rules of the game very well. Granted, you know, I, I picked up some from live streaming and watching, but obviously I didn't know the details of everything. Um, so, yeah, so there's all this kind of all this uncomfortable behavior that that built up. So I only managed to do one session before it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> that's so that's. Uh, yeah. Did, did you ever did they ever respond to your saying that you were? No, think, I, I, at least I don't know if I, <laughs> I have no idea, honestly. Um, yeah, I was really just like, yeah, bye, and then ghosted them, essentially, uh, kind of for my own safety, because oh. I wasn't sure yes. <laughs> what was yeah. going no, on I, there. You definitely did the right thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think going from that was kind of a, a, a very jarring first experience. Um, and, you know, yeah, it was kind of, it was not a, it was not a good first experience. So, I'll let you know that, obviously. I mean, it seems like there should be a conversation, especially because you had like a session zero that mm -hmm. where if the content of the game is going to involve some potentially very triggering content, that would be discussed. Yeah. Like you yeah. should not be throwing that at your players or your fellow players. In yeah. Any especially situation. before trust had been built up, you know. Yeah. Especially yeah. with with people that you, you don't know, like you have not met these, but like I don't understand. I know it happens and it's it's very disturbing on so many levels, but mm -hmm. and I'm sorry that that happened to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the whole thing is that I'm, I, I see it as a learning experience, and uh, I, I hope that the people who were in that game have learned to be to go beyond that toxic behavior. Um, and you know, I think that could have been a make or break experience. Uh, yeah. For me, and for a lot of people uh, who I've heard the horror stories of <laughs> these bad games. Um, but because of live streaming and because of that online community um, and seeing, you know, um, femmes and women uh, on there kind of helped to reaffirm that I had a space in this place, in here, in this community. Um, I had to go back to just kind of being just like home game only for a bit. Uh, but yeah, it, it's only because there was this already this community of diverse, uh, of course, you know, um, we're still growing in, in diversity and inclusion now, uh, but, you know, being able to see not just white dudes on stream uh, really helped uh, for me having the confidence enough to go back uh, into uh, the community and gaming. Uh, and to even do live streaming. <laughs> um, That's been and, one of the... Yeah. Uh, data points that I've used in, you know, as, as part of my work is that uh, if you had had that toxic experience in 1985, say, um, mm -hmm. you 
be might be like, oh, well, that's just what all Dungeons and Dragons is like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be experiencing this all the time, and then you would never jump into the to the game again. And I heard people who did try to play in the early days and had something like that happen, and they were like, okay, nope, not for me, and they will get out of it. But what you're uh, saying is, is I think one of the effects of streaming and having more, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, experiences of people playing that were external to you that you have mm-hmm. like a platonic ideal almost where you're like, oh, here is what I want out of yeah. a tabletop experience. And even though you might have a few misses before you find the right group or, or a right group that you might fit into, um, you're, you're going to have that, that uh, confidence to, to, that you're going to find it eventually if you just keep you know, uh, uh, working towards it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think there is a power in seeing people like you on stream. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a form of like media, right? It's a, if you see yourself represented in um, a space, then you immediately feel a connection and a sense of safety. Uh, because, you know, so you have that uh, preliminary thought that, yeah, I can exist in the space. Um, and I think kind of one of my favorite things, uh, and I think one of the most touching things that someone had ever told me, uh, is that they started playing D and D cause they saw me on stream. Oh, uh, they saw a, nice. yeah, they saw a queer trans uh, person of color, uh, on like a, on stream, uh, who's also femme and all that stuff. And they went, Oh, I can belong in that space too. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they told me, uh, that they started playing uh and they felt safe enough to try playing uh because they saw people like me uh playing as well so i think that's one of the greatest like things i can give back uh by being the community and being the space is by providing that that open seat um or indicating hey there's a place for you here yeah um so that's that's been a really cool uh kind of side effects of all the stuff that i do uh around the community so now that the time has passed, but it hasn't been that much time, but the, since that toxic <laughs> game and where you yeah. are now and all of the things that you've contributed to the community and this toolkit that you have, mm-hmm. if, if that experience happened today, would you have responded differently to the group? Would you have said something like, I, or, you know, <laughs> I really don't know. Like I, I really, I don't know what the proper response would be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not sure if my response would have been any different because um, the culture um, of that game um, was not a safe one. Right. Uh, and there's no, like, yeah. nothing really good happens if you engage with toxic people on the internet. Like, that's yeah. <laughs> generally, <laughs> you're not going to, like, get, like, my goodness. You're really you're turning right. me around here. I haven't actually thought of it that way. Thank you very much. Yeah, and, and I think a, a big thing, too, is um, we can't expect uh, marginalized people to put in that right, um, right. that emotional energy and putting themselves in danger for doing that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think what it is now is that um, with the TTRPG safety toolkit um, is that the hope is that because the safety tools and a, a culture of safety and stuff will be a little more prolific and a little more out there and people can pick it up, that they'll have something there for them to go, hey, I have this thing. Can we maybe use this? Can we talk about it? Um, And it's an empowerment thing. Um, So if I was in a game and I was aware of safety tools, um, I think I might have been, like if I was watching uh, Tales from the Mist, which uses uh, uses safety tools, and I saw them being used and kind of going, oh, 
this is something that could be used in a game. Uh, I think that might have that might have changed my response then. But mm -hmm. I think it's really just the you know that's the 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 culture uh, and that uh, principle of care needed to be there first. Mm. And I don't think that first that I don't think that very first session I was in had that. No. <laughs> I don't um, think so either. Is it safe to say that that experience, as well as you know others that you had, inspired you to create these safety tools? Yes, absolutely. So um, I, I think uh, we uh, go back to the beginning of the TTRPG safety toolkit. Um, also, I think my uh, my co-creator of the toolkit, uh, uh, Lauren, uh, also Starving's Uberabs. I hope I hope I'm saying that right. I never know how to pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> it's in the it's in the Twitch chat right now. Oh, uh, hi. So. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess if we go right to the beginning of uh, the creation of the, the safety toolkit, um, essentially, um, I was on a podcast called Lady Slain Dragons, uh, which uh, featured Keely uh, and my good friend, uh, Misty Vander, um, who is doing some pretty awesome advocacy work. Uh, and we were talking one day uh, about safety tools, um, and I had never heard about safety tools before. Uh, this would have been about two years ago-ish um, that I was finding out about this. Um, and um, at the time, I was like, oh, there's these communication tools that you can use to kind of gauge whether people are okay with what's going on in the game. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of seeing, uh, you know, uh, they were using uh, these safety tools on a couple streams. Uh, that Misty was involved, when, uh, involved in and that um, I was friends with. Um, and so I was able to kind of see them in play, uh, specifically uh, the, X, uh, the X card and the O card, um, which are respectively done by John uh, Stavopoulos uh, and uh, Kira McGran. Um, and so I was kind of seeing these happen like, oh, wow, how have I never heard of these before? These are awesome. And then I realized very quickly it's because... Um, so many of this information is lost on the web. <laughs> I mean, they're out there and they're, they're being used by conventions. They're being used by uh, separate tables, but they're not, they, at the time when I was uh, kind of being introduced to them, they weren't a widely spread concept. Uh, and mostly that was because the information was kind of, you know, they were lost on blog sites or forums that got shut down. I think G, uh, Google Plus <laughs> kind of was like went down around this time. Um, and so all of this valuable information uh, would be lost to the, <laughs> the void of the interwebs. Right. Um, and so I was kind I, uh, to kind of give a background, uh, my day job um, at, the, at the time and currently now is um, learning how to teach people uh, how to use softwares and uh, the value of softwares and stuff like that. Um, and including making these quick reference guides. And so as I was talking more and more uh, with Misty and seeing it more and more and talking to a few streamer, streamer friends of mine who wanted to incorporate safety tools mm -hmm. um, but didn't know what was available, I went, oh, I think there's something here. Uh, so I sat down and I made a very, uh, very, the very first draft of the, what do I call the safety tools and streaming quick reference guide. Uh, which was a super brief uh, summary of a bunch of safety tools, uh, including the X uh, and, and O cards, the N card being a, made by Misty and my friend Adam Cleaver uh, as kind of a in between the X and the O card. Um, 
Yeah, and, well, I, yeah. I, I, maybe now is a good time to kind of explain to our listeners yeah. like exactly what each one of those cars is and how they can be used with the safety toolkit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, <laughs> there's a bunch of tools um, that are in the toolkit, um, which uh, I, I'll, I'll go quickly through them. Uh, so the X and an O cars, uh, which are, if you watch uh, Tales from the Mist, that's those are the tools that they use. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, the X car made by John Stavopoulos, uh, the O car made by Kira McGran, and the N car made by Misty Vander and Adam Cleaver. Uh, these are check-in tools, essentially. So these are ways for us uh, during a game to go um, to say, you know, what content is okay or not okay with you. Uh, so for example, if there's something that's happening and you're not comfortable with it at all, um, either because it's triggering or you're just, you're just it's not a, it's a, it crossed the line for you. Uh, what you can do is you use the X card. So you can say, I'd like to exit out. Hey, can we use the X card here? Or typing it into chat or tapping a physical card if you have one. Um, and that just says, hey, let's, let's pause. Let's check in with each other. And then uh, we're going to say, all right, let's go back. And we're just going to, we're just going to change that. So that didn't happen. Uh, we're going to, uh, God, what's the term? Retcon. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I was like, the, the word's right there. I was like, retrospect? No, that's not the word. <laughs> In hindsight, we will reverse this. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so, and you just go back and you retcon. Um, the end card is kind of the, the hey, let's slow down. Um, so when I, when I play the end card, whether that's saying that out loud or typing in chat or tapping a physical card, that's saying, hey, can we, can we pause, um, check with each other, and then decide whether we either want to keep going, but, you know, be, fair, be more aware and check in with each other more about this content that's happening, or do we just want to, you know, put it behind, a, uh, like, cut to black? Like, hey, it happened, but we don't want to go into more detail about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I think we see this a lot in, in D&D games. with like the, hey, I'd like to end card this violence that's happening right now. Like, cool, we're, we're defeating these monsters. I don't want to go into bloody gory detail about it. Um, and then finally, uh, the O card uh, by Kira um, is essentially the, hey, I may look like I'm having a bad time, but actually I really like what's going on. Oh, oh I'm okay. Um, so that's a, that's a big one there, uh, especially with emotional games uh, or games that have sensitive topics is being able to have that power of also saying, yes, I'm okay with what's going on. Uh, for because you're right, because you might be role-playing right. your, the, the distress that mm-hmm. your character would be uh, very naturally feeling in those situations, mm-hmm. but that's not the player who's experiencing those Yeah, emotions. exactly. I, I cry a lot on stream. I think anyone <laughs> who's ever watched me on stream, <laughs> especially the Dragonlands campaign I'm on, I cry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I like... I straight up sob on camera for like several minutes. Um, and I really enjoy that. I enjoy, you know, having that uh, really emotional experience. But it's also really great to be able to go, yes, I'm okay. Like, don't worry. I may be sobbing my eyes out, right. but I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Or I can easily say, hey, I'm actually not okay. Like, this is me, Kiana, crying. And this is not an okay content with me. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's enthusiastic consent card. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, it's the, yes, keep hurting me. Hurt me more. <laughs> <laughs> That's like when Shelly's uh, laughing and yes, crying. I often, I also yeah. cry a lot on stream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, that's essentially what it is. It's the, 
the yes, keep going. I like what's going on, and it's it's a great way to to check in. And uh, and I think there's 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 an additional one that uh, we use, especially for GMs, but for players too. We go oh question mark. Uh, hey, are we all okay? You can verbally say or in chat just go oh question mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the you know hey how are we doing? This is the check in point where people can, you know, if they weren't comfortable uh, interrupting, feeling like they're interrupting the flow. Uh, by putting an X and an O card, this gives a a space for people to go. Yeah. Yes, this is this is time where I can hop in uh, and tell you how I feel. That's great. Um, I love I love all what you just described because uh, when when I first heard about them, I realized that live streaming is is different than uh, the home game, right? Because mm-hmm. in a home game, there is a little bit more leeway to. Um, stop the game, stop the right. flow, as you say, and be like, "Hey, Get I'm up, not cool take with a this." Break. You know, especially yeah. if, if you built up, you know, yeah. a relationship with with uh, uh, that particular group. You know, people's comfortability. You know, you might not have um, necessitated the need for for these tools to be developed um, yeah. earlier yeah. on in, in the tabletop realm. But like now with live streaming, that's that's taken away a little bit because there is the 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 need to get rid of any downtime or the more casual kind of banter that would occur normally at a and d table game mm-hmm. because it's for a show, it's for the cameras, it's for like that. Yeah. And so having these tools is a great way, and I, I like how you're mentioning it like in chat, is it just a, a really great way to give those signals that is, um, you know, honestly very similar to theater or something like that where like, you know, in, in, when you're doing a fight choreography or something like that, uh, as, I always got to bring it back to theater somehow, but... Um, <laughs> You know that, like that's how the combatants in the in a fight choreography scene on on stage. There is a lot of check in moments with each other to make sure that that they're they're safe. Uh, yeah. And you do that non non verbally if you can, or verbally. Uh, sometimes if it's a loud enough scene, you can just be like, "You okay? You okay? All right, great." And then let's continue with the with the fight scene. And mm-hmm. um, those have been developed over time uh, for for performance type things. And here uh, is using those type of tools uh, for for tabletop role playing games. And I think it's it's, it's genius. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that is it is valuable to say that safety tools are not are, are useful for every table, uh, even for tables that you have been, you know, with for many many years. Um, I think something that's important to talk about uh, with safety tools is that it, it all functions into a system of care uh, and trust and respect. Yeah. Um, so the and you know uh, and understanding that humans are very complex beings <laughs> uh, because. I, I think um, let, if I go over another safety tool, the lines and bail system, uh, which is essentially a way uh, in session zero or midway through your campaign or whatever, you can uh, kind of set out like a, what's okay, what's not okay. Uh, line being a hard line. I do not want this in my game. I don't want to discuss this concept. I don't want it to appear, whatever. Uh, and then, and a veil being a soft limit. Hey, this can exist, but I don't want it to be in depth. Yeah, uh, or a focus, or I want to be. Yeah. I don't want to focus on the gore. Like it's okay if it happens, but yeah, let's. Um, so move for on. for me personally, um, lines in games are usually sexual violence. Don't want it. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to showcase it at all. Don't want it in a backstory. I just it's not comfortable for me to engage with. Yeah. Um, and a veil for me would be eye trauma. Oh, um, I <laughs> I'm okay with. Hey, this person got hurt in their eye. I don't really want the details. We can cut the black on that. <laughs> um, and I, I think with the with um, these types of things, it's often you'll kind of learn people's lines and veils if you're in a long-term group 
um, of friends and you've known each other for 20 years. But those types of things can change uh, over years and from day to day. Um, you know, uh, for example, I see a lot of D&D players now who I know who are new parents mm. and suddenly harm the children. Yeah, I was line. just hard line. I was just thinking that that way yeah, after I became a, a parent, anything that has to do with kids and any type of harm, not to say mm-hmm. like didn't bother me at all before, but it didn't have the type of reaction mm-hmm. for yeah. me that it does now. Yeah, and uh, violence uh, yeah, in general, is. really. Yeah, and I think it's a with that. I mean, yeah, and, and then from day to day, things change as well. Yeah, I might have had a really bad day. Um, and all of a sudden, there's a sad dog in my game. I don't want this dog to be sad. That's like, my other trigger. Can't <laughs> see <laughs> sad animals. Like I don't, I don't want to deal with that today. Like any other day, I might have been okay. Yeah. Uh, but now I don't want to do that. Um, and safety tool. And, and while you know, each group can decide for themselves how they want to deal with safety. Uh, safety tools are a great, you know, set formula thing. You know, everyone, know, if you talk about it, everyone knows what they mean. So you never really have to verbalize what's going on. You don't need to go have to explain yourself. You can just go, hey, I'm, I'm going to X card that. Right. And by having that, you're, it, it's just another option to communicate those ideas. Um, and I think a lot of the pushback that I get on safety tools uh, since I started advocating for them um, is this idea that, you know, oh, but we don't need them. Like, um, we're adults. We can talk. I'm like, yeah, but we're humans. <laughs> right. We're humans and we're complicated. We don't like confrontation. Uh, and often sometimes saying I'm not okay with something can feel confrontational. Because uh, yeah. you, you might be interrupting the flow. And you might not want to. Story. You might not yeah. want to inadvertently hurt or trigger someone like yeah. an eye trauma. Like you did, they don't, might not know that about you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and you'll, you'll stumble across things that maybe you didn't even realize mm-hmm. was a thing. Well, the, th- uh, the thing that's great about these tools and using them is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's, they're designed to not interrupt the flow. Like, that's the whole point yeah. of them is to g- have a shorthand that you can be like, hey, no, I'm going to nope out of this. But you're doing it in a way that can be non-intrusive to the flow of the game. So, if you're, yeah. like, like you said, the physical holding up of a card or putting it out yeah. onto the table, a dungeon master may not even need to address that. That just you know I, they can just, of course yeah. and they you know I'm, they're encouraged to talk it through, uh, but if they just were like okay I'm just going to avoid that a good a good dungeon master or or any dungeon master should realize like okay this is something that I can very quickly improvise out of and mm-hmm. uh, uh, hopefully not you know injure the flow of the game. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I think what it is uh, again safety tools are just one component of a culture of consent. Yeah, uh, and of uh, care. Uh, so say you want all of your players to buy and the GM, everyone at the table, uh, to buy into what's happening because uh, then you can fully explore that, right? You, you want everyone to actually be engaged with what's going on. Um, and uh, But <laughs> you want to be able to put the people at the table versus the story at the table first, mm-hmm. right? Um, what, what the principal of care says is that you're putting the care of the people around you before whatever else. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I think what we have to do is we have to shift away from this idea that we have to build a perfect story that we cannot interrupt yeah. um, and instead focus around trying to make it super, you know, okay with everybody and that everyone's having fun 
and enjoying what's going on and people feel cared for. Uh, again, because we're all humans first. <laughs> That's what we are. Um, I'm, I'm, and, a, I'm a robot, but yeah. okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> or a warforged. <laughs> uh, oh, and yeah, I, and I, what I also like yeah. about these too is that they're, they, it seems to be the con- extension of the philosophy that 5th edition takes uh, about uh, the, 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 the fun and the enjoyment and the safety of those at the table is the most important part of it. And mm-hmm. I think previous editions and previous iterations of the D&D culture was that there was this adversarial relationship between the dungeon master and the players and that you had a go through this gauntlet in order to to mm-hmm. to yeah. get the gold at the end and 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 that uh continue to reinforce this idea that that you had to uh that 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 the content of the game was something to be endured uh rather than a a, a collaborative art that it, that it is mm-hmm. uh now in 5th edition so it's Something that was absolutely needed, and I think it's like an extension of, of where uh, the community is going right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's what makes it so powerful um, now that it's being used on very visible shows and uh, stuff like the TTRPG Safety Toolkit, uh, which was really meant to be um, a collection of all of these resources to help people uh, communicate and foster uh, that sense of trust and communication. Uh, and safe, uh, safety and consent, um, you know, we're, we're building out this this better environment uh, for people who could come into a, a, a table at a con with people they have never like played with before. Uh, but if we all have safety tools and everyone buys into them, then you'll know you'll be cared for. Um, and I think that's a powering thing, especially for marginalized people. Uh, where, you know, there's so many terrible things that can be described in the game uh, that unfortunately speak to a lot of, you know, personal traumas or, you know, um, oppressive uh, experiences. Um, And by having those tools there and by fostering a a culture where we talk about putting players first and putting GMs first and putting whoever at the table first uh, is, you know, being able to elevate the story you're creating because everyone is enjoying what's going on yeah. uh, and whatever, uh, whatever discomfort um, that they're feeling is discomfort that they said, yes, I'm okay with this discomfort uh, and not that you act that you, you stepped a line or something like that. So yeah, so it's the safety tools. Um, it's really a way to mitigate harm. Um, well, to avoid harm and mitigate it when it happens by accident, because sometimes it does. Um, and I think it's, a, it's an incredibly powerful thing to see people using it um, and being introduced to it via the toolkit um, and be able to find the right tool for them because there's so many of them out there. Yeah. Uh, the X and a no cards are just one of them. Um, and um, The Lines and Veils was another one. Yeah, Lines and Veils are just another, but there's tons of them. Uh, check out the toolkit <laughs> uh, for more of them. Yeah, so um, I mean, so you described those two systems. How many of them are are included within the entire? Yeah, guide? so uh, I, I mean, we we divide it up into different sections. Uh, we talk about before the game begins, uh, uh, which includes um, you know lines of veils, but also uh, ratings like you know movie ratings, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the luxon technique, which is a really cool one that um, was created by Ph Lee. Uh, which kind of is a very different approach uh, where uh, the X and the no cards are all super like, you know, uh, we're going to avoid these things. The Luxon technique is a way of 
how do we talk through them? And how do we, um, with the locked-in technique specifically, we all talk about, you know, what are types of things that we don't like dealing with uh, or trauma triggers for us. We all know who what trauma triggers people have. And when it comes up in game, we give total fight control over to that person who's being affected, uh, even if they're not in that scene. Um, and so it's a very it's a very different way of approaching it, but it's a it's a different technique that works for different people. What was the name? Uh, what was the name of the technique again? Uh, the Luxton technique. Luxton. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So it's just a different it's just a different way of approaching it, just because the X and O cards may not work for people, or script change by Brebo may not change not work for them. Brebo um, created this the. Uh, script change, it's very much like a movie. You mm. pause or you rewind or you back forward. Uh, very, uh, it, it does a lot of stuff similar to X and O cards, but just in a different formatting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's stuff like, um, and then after the session, you know, you've got stuff like debriefing, uh, stars and wishes, or uh, if people know uh, Thorns and Roses, I think is what uh, it originally comes from, mm-hmm. uh, and highlight reel and rap session, you know. Uh, learning how to decompress after a game and, you know, talk with each other about what worked, what didn't work, how people felt about it, oh. uh, all that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, safety toolkit, <laughs> best way to find out all that stuff because it all summarizes all of them and provides links to the original resources as well. So if you want to check out the actual original people who created it um, or, uh, you know, the, their original explanations, they're all in there. Uh, and it's also a Google Drive folder, uh, which actually has some copies of, those original documents in them uh, cool. so you can use them for yourself because um, I think one of the major things of what I do here in the community is that knowledge is only useful when it's accessible and actionable. Um, you can have all this awesome stuff out there, but unless people can access it and people can use it, it's not very useful. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, so I think a lot of um, what the TTRPG Safety Toolkit was is to take those things and make them accessible and then make it so that people can easily find a way to use them. Um, so yeah, so the toolkit is there as a toolkit. Um, for whenever you need a hammer, you have a hammer. Whenever you need a screwdriver, you have a screwdriver. Um, all those types of things. Sounds um, very much I mean, like what you went to school for. Like, yeah, it's, it's very much uh, right? all those skills. Yeah. See, yeah, but yeah, it's it's not a it's not a it's not meant to be a completely comprehensive resource. Uh, but we're 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 hoping to kind of start to get there where we can you know become a centralized place for people to find the uh, the safety tools they need uh, and learn about uh, safety and culture um, and consent at the table and how do you navigate all of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that sounds like your jam. I mean, uh, it's reached since we launched the uh, the toolkit back in May, I believe. Um, we've reached all across the world with it. There are different translations of it now. Oh uh, wow, that's which amazing. is wild uh, that people have done that. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's pretty cool. Uh, I've seen cons pick it up as well, uh, which has been really awesome to see. Um, and uh, people. Uh, different, uh, you know, publishers and stuff as well have also picked it up uh, to uh, start distributing uh, when they have open tables at conventions or other places. So, so how it's would really you, cool stuff? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I love that you made it accessible and that people can can uh, mm-hmm. download this and 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 find the tool that works right for their group. But how would you suggest um, bringing up the desire to use this toolkit? 
same when you're starting a new group, you know, and you know, kind of like the similar situation that you had when you're like, oh, I'm just meeting these people for the first time. They, you know, the dungeon master isn't setting up anything like this. Um, mm-hmm. What, what, do, what kind of a, a way would you approach um, introducing, you know, this toolkit to them and say like, hey, I would like to use these. Honestly, I think just coming out and going like, hey, I would feel more comfortable playing if we had some of if we had some form of safety tools. Can we talk through and figure out which one is going to work for the table? Um, and I think that also will tell you a lot about the people you're playing right. with. Because <laughs> if they go, no, that idea sucks, they're not for then you. you know. Then, then you know. know. <laughs> yeah. Now you know, right? I, I think being very upfront about, hey, I would feel more comfortable if we did this thing. Um, and if you know what safety tools work for you, and you can also suggest those, but obviously be open to discussion as to what's going to work for the table. Um, but yeah, I, I think being very upfront about it is probably one of the most useful things. Um, the, the toolkit um, is not meant to be a throw at your players and be done with it. <laughs> it's, it's really meant to be a conversational starter and a reference and a resource that people can use to build out their own conversations about how they deal with safety, um, whether they're using formal tools, whether they're using cards or speaking it out loud, um, or, you know, whatever else they deal with it. Um, But I I, I would encourage that people just, you know, can explicitly state that the game they're looking for is a game that is safe. And a game that is safe is one that discusses safety straight up in session zero all throughout the campaign, right? Um, So, yeah, so that's really... Uh, what how I would suggest, and of course, sometimes it can be scary um, because, again, there's that weird confrontational part of it where you're seeking your accommodations, but your accommodations are important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, and I think people who, uh, you know, you, you're totally right. If they if they resist, you know, you're gonna know a lot about them right away. But to those who do, um, I w- I would just say like it's it's true in every group activity that people play in, you know, that, mm-hmm. that there is, a, you know, I'm, go back to thinking about, like, pick up basketball games or something like that. There's always that. And it's brief. It not, isn't always, like, the whole conversation, but people will be like, all right, you know, hey, that's, you know, behind that line is, is, is a two-pointer, you know, in, in, call your own fouls and blah, blah, blah. And if you don't set up those, those very basic ground rules of safety, you know, then uh, it's chaos, right? And so yeah. all, all that you're just talking about is just being like, hey, this is, these are the guidelines, we're all going to agree on like this is the uh, environment for the game that everybody's going to be comfortable in, mm-hmm. and it doesn't need to affect the game the way uh, people might imagine it does. Like, yeah, you know, if it, it, yeah. Uh, I, I think most people tend to have this idea that safety tools uh, is restrictive. It's uh, no, you can't do it's this. Freeing. You can't do this it's freeing. It's the opposite. Yeah, it's like, actually more freeing. Freeing uh, because you know what people aren't okay with. You can go freaking hard on everything else. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> you can go, like, I, I think one of my, my best examples is that I run a lot of horror games, um, especially Bluebeard's Bride, uh, which is a very, very intimate, I'm looking to scare the players, not the player characters kind of game. Yeah. Uh, and by establishing, um, you know, their lines available, what they're okay and not okay with, and by having those, uh, you know, the X and an O cards is what I personally use. Um I can easily go, okay, people aren't okay with, you know, harm the children, harm the animals, uh, and they're not okay with, um, you know, bees and hornets. Okay, cool. I'm going to go really hard on the body horror here now. Cool. I could I have that free reign right. to go with that. 
Um, so I think it's an incredibly freeing thing. Um, and even if you um, never use the safety tools, if you have them there, yeah. that's already helping to establish that environment. Because then you'll have, in case an emergency happens, is there. I, um, I think the analogy that I really like using um, is that think of a flying trapeze act at a circus. You want that thrill of the person going through the air, uh, that like, oh, are they going to make it or not? Uh, but I'd rather there be a safety net there right? in case something goes wrong than having to deal with the mess afterwards, <laughs> right? I mean, you're going to hope that you'll never have to rely on the safety net yeah. um, or that, you know, that everything will go off super smoothly uh, or whatever. But, you know. <laughs> it's better uh, to have all that for sure, if you right? I have mean, all that, and, and again, even if you already have an established group, if you already have an established like, know what people generally know what people like and don't like. Um, I think it's still valuable to have the conversations, to have something there just in case, yeah. uh, because you never know. You never know. People are complicated. Uh, people are complex plants with feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so for the for the groups that are open to the safety tools, how do because I mean even just talking about what triggers are can be uncomfortable for people. Mm-hmm. So how do you recommend those conversations happen? Is this like a session zero thing where you get to like, yes? It, the, these conversations happen in front of each other because it's important that the players also know what mm-hmm. the triggers are and not just the dungeon master. But yeah, what are you yeah, what so, do you recommend for that? Yeah, so if you're not comfortable talking about what your triggers are, which are totally valid. Um, especially at a convention game or, you know, right. a game where you're just getting hey, to know Hey, we people. just met. <laughs> Let me yeah. By the way, I've got a Ooh. thing with hot dogs. Can you just not include <laughs> hot dogs in any um, of the games? Yeah, so it can be uncomfortable. So I think there's a lot of ways as game masters we can use to help facilitate uh, those types of things. Um, so, for example, I can go, hey, I'd like to, um, you know, I'm going to set up a Google Forms. People can anonymously submit what they have. It all gets mixed up uh, together, and then I'm going to put out a, uh, a Google Doc that everyone can see where we all have our lines and veils there. Um, so that way everyone knows uh, there's no, um, there should never be an expectation for people to explain why. Right. Don't be that asshole to say, uh, why don't you like, you need dogs? to tell me why this is bad for you. <laughs> What's so bad about sexual violence? I mean, come on. <laughs> like, like people don't owe you the trauma for you to care about. Right. And the whole Not point is they're saying it's a it's something they don't want to experience or talk right. about. So don't yeah. Don't make me talk about it. Exactly. That seems to be one of the one of the lines. Yeah, yeah. So I, I having uh, the the Google form or some other anonymous way of chatting about it helps. But yeah, yeah. having a session zero, um, again, having that conversation about how are we dealing with safety? Are we all explicitly okay with not having formal safety tools if that's your if, for example, your group? Um or, you know, hey, what safety tools are going to work best for us? You know, um, having a reminder every single session at the beginning, hey, remember, these tools are in play. Like, make sure to use them if we need to. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of ways that you can just help facilitate those. Yeah. Um, I would love to see and, more people and, just and, incorporating it into their session zeros yeah, at all times. Sure. I mean, obviously, you want to do that. I mean, we've recommended it as to talking about the style of the game that's going to be played as well as, mm-hmm. you know, what yes, kind of absolutely. content is going to be a big part of it. And, uh, you know, this is just one of those data points that I think Dungeon Master should do all the time. Yeah, I, I, and another thing is that, like, it's not, you know, 
it's, it's not restricted to a session zero. Um, right. You should have these conversations throughout. Let's yeah. say you get to a really intense, especially descend into Avernus is now <laughs> a thing. <laughs> um, if you get into a really intense part of hell, might be another time they sit down and be like, hey, are we okay with our trajectory? Yeah. Like, are we okay with where we're going? Uh, do we want to lighten up a bit? Do we want to really lean into the dark, scary, spooky stuff here? Or are you okay like, with clouds of fingernails coming at you? Ugh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I think, um, again, it's just facilitating that, that culture. Um, and safety tools are a great foundation of doing that because by having them there and by ha- facilitating those discussions, uh, you're immediately signaling that you are going to be putting everyone else's feelings uh, and fun at the forefront before the story and putting your own feelings and safety at the forefront as well. I love um, that. Because that's, that's, that's really what it is. If everyone's having fun, everyone feels safe um, with what's going on, uh, you're going to make a better story. <laughs> yeah, and that's a really good way to, to kind of center this is that like this is not uh, restrictive at all. It's going to mm-hmm. cr- most likely result in a more trusting group that is wants to push those boundaries which yeah. sounds you know up up into those boundaries safely, <laughs> safely. yes exactly yeah, yeah. Um, and saying that you know that person's okay with you pushing it yes because yeah. sometimes you're like okay with edging a little bit that direction right uh, but you want to make sure that the person's okay with it and you're not yeah, I, I think there's a, a good analogy that my friend Dylan Anna Rice is in chat once said is that sometimes you mess up, like if someone hurt their leg and, you know, you're playing soccer and you accidentally, you know, hit the ball into them, that's an accident. You're going to be like, um, it's totally fine to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, let's make sure your your eyes are okay. But if you know that person's leg is hurt and you go out to hurt them. Right. That's, that's not a <laughs> that's thing that friends okay. do. That's not a thing that friends do. Yeah. Um, So I think there's that thing too of being like, you know, um, if if the person's okay with you kind of pushing that boundary, for example, this person playing soccer with an injured leg knows there's a risk of like an injury (laughs) or further injury, but they're okay with it. They've consented to it by participating. Yeah. um, And by, you know, maybe telling the coach, hey, I'm okay. Um, (laughs) But if you're purposely going out to hurt somebody, uh uh-uh. (laughs) <laughs> I love that we've used so many sports metaphors throughout this entire conversation. I, it's the only time I ever talk about sports. <laughs> it's, honestly, it's weird, but you're right. It, it totally is. Uh, but I, I just want to underline, too, what you've said throughout, which, which I wish more people just did in their daily lives. But centering the, 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 the culture of consent and care is, I, I, you know, like, like I said, I think it just goes beyond even just tabletop gaming. I wish more people were just doing that yeah. kind of in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. especially our leaders. So uh, I'm really uh, think it's great, and I and I uh, appreciate everything that you're doing, Kiana. And uh, I'm excited to talk even more about this as as more and more tools uh, get developed. Because I'm sure someone will come up with another system yeah. that makes sense uh, for their group and want to share it. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the hope, and it's the hope that we can continue our work to develop uh, the safety toolkit. Uh, so that people are able to get even more access to uh, ways to make their games better, make their stories better, make their tables better, all that fun stuff. So there's two pieces <laughs> of information that I think are missing. Where yes. can people get the safety toolkit? Yes. Uh, so um, the link is bit.ly, like L-Y, slash T-T-R-B-G safety toolkit. It'll take you straight to the Google Drive folder uh, where you'll find uh, the guide 
um, which had a full, uh, you know, dis, uh, debrief from what iSafe tools are, as well as a summary of all these of these different cool tools and links to their sources, uh, as well as uh, we have our own uh, X and an O cards there that you can print off for yourself. Uh, we also have a little thing about uh, a little readme information stuff. Um, if you're interested in referencing uh, the toolkit in your products, uh, in your uh, adventures, uh, or whatever else, uh, we have ways to talk to us and to credit that. Uh, and we also have a bunch of copies of different cool uh, safety uh, documents uh, that other people have made uh, and conversations that we're all kind of uh, putting there so that people can quickly reference in case our, our guide uh, it doesn't quite go deep enough, they can easily find another way to look at it. Um, awesome. So yeah, so, that, so that's the best way to find it. <laughs> bit, bit.ly slash TTRPG safety toolkit. Safety toolkit, yeah. Okay, all one word. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, um, uh, and all lowercase, so it's, it's very easy to, to remember. <laughs> we will put that, uh, you know, kind of in the show notes and, and make sure that uh, more folks have access to where that link is because uh, I just want to spread the word. Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah, and that's a, that's a good thing that Warren pointed out is, is that there's also links to talks, um, uh, audio recordings uh, that Lauren and I have done. Uh, uh, panels and stuff like that. Uh, we're going to have one at PAX Unplugged uh, with some really awesome guests uh, as well. So if you aren't able to make it, uh, we'll still have a way for you to access our conversations that way. And you should put a link, to, a link to this show too once it goes live as well. Yes, we, yes, we will. Very cool. <laughs> uh, and then the other piece of information is how can people uh, reach out to you if they have questions about this safety toolkit or uh, uh, your co-creator, Lauren Brian Monk, uh, and uh, get more information if they're interested. Yeah, so uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Kiana S, uh, K-I-E-N-N-A-S is the best way to figure out what I'm doing. I have a pin tweet uh, with the link as well. Um, and my co-creator, uh, Lauren Bryant-Monk, is JL underscore nice girl over on Twitter as well. Um, we all have a bunch of stuff uh, like our streams and Patreons and coffees uh, and other ways to help support us uh, and the creation of the TTRPG Safety Toolkit. Because in a hundred percent free resource, um, we—that's a whole tenet of it—is being as accessible as possible, which means not being paid or not being put behind a paywall. Uh, so, if you like what we do, um, it's a really good way of supporting our work uh, is by supporting us uh, via Patreon and all that stuff over there. Awesome! I never realized. Obviously, I've seen people buying coffees for people on that platform, and I always just assumed it was pronounced Kofi. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is spelled that way. It writes? Yeah. Uh, it's one of those D&D problems where you see something yeah. written and you say it in your head and it's just how you pronounce it in your head. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, no, of course you would buy a coffee on coffee, even though it's spelled <laughs> K-O-F-I. Uh, yeah. yeah, so cool. All right. Well, support all of the work you're doing. Uh, again, Including, I think it's... You got some, some releases in the DMs Guild. Which we didn't yeah. get to talk about. Oh, right, yeah, because of uh, uh, Lulu the Holly Fant. Yeah. It's, it's uh, Avernus yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I recently released a couple of things on DM Skill with my good friend Jonathan Fry. Uh, we released To Hell and Back Again, uh, which is a solo adventure that can also be played with friends. We've got a bunch of rules there. That's pretty uh, but awesome. But also you can play by yourself. Uh, it can also work as a prologue uh, to Descend into Avernus. Uh, so if you're uh -huh. looking... Uh, to do some cool stuff, uh, adventuring uh, from the uh, Fey uh, haunted woods down to the fiery depths of Avernus and back again. Uh, that stuff. Hopefully, to back check out. again. Yeah, to hell and back again. All right, she's promising <laughs> um, back again. 
Yeah. Uh, and um, my, the second thing I released uh, with Dawn uh, is Lulu's Guide to Holophons. Love it. Uh, so uh, we created a bestiary and D&D 5e core race where if you like holophons. I do. You, you can play a holophon, Shelly. <laughs> Going to download it immediately yeah, so, after this. Uh, yeah, so you'll just, if you just look them up on, on DM's Guild, you'll find them there. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so Lulu's Guide to Holophons uh, has rules on how to be a holophon, uh, how to incorporate holophons into your campaign, uh, as well as a bunch of NPCs. Uh, we're very proud of it. Uh, there's also a bunch of uh, notes from Lulu oh. herself in there as well. So... Uh, if you if you can't get enough of Lulu, uh, we <laughs> could can? we couldn't get enough of her either. So uh, there's more Lulu. That's great. Yeah, there's more Lulu. So, I love it. Yeah, so you can go and find those. Uh, let us know if you like it, and obviously leave ratings and reviews and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, sweet cool stuff going that way. That is Very a lot cool. of great stuff. Uh, tons of resources. Uh, I want more people to check it out. So uh, thank you for coming on and talking through all this. Um, and yeah. I would love to talk more because, like I said, I'm sure there will be more uh, evolutions of these tools uh, as they uh, get farther out into the wild. So, mm-hmm. good stuff. Yeah, thank, yep, you're doing you great so work. Thank you. Yeah. And thank, you thank you for too. having me. I appreciate it. Uh, and I appreciate giving uh, you guys giving a platform uh, to such an important thing and uh, helping to introduce the concept to people who might want and need it in their games to make it better. For sure. <laughs> That's what we love to do. Oh, that was a really good conversation. I'm so glad we were able to speak to Kiana Shaw. Me too. Do you feel like you learned a lot? Yes, for for sure. For real. What about you, Tanya, even though you weren't necessarily on that interview? (laughs) Do you feel like you learned a lot? I've learned by osmosis and by chatting with Kiana Kiana on Twitter. That's right. And in person briefly at Big Bad Con. So I learned learned through osmosis prior to this, so I'm now time traveling. See, time travel's hard. You get it. It It is is hard to do. As a as a Doctor Who person, <laughs> how are you, how can you be in different places at once? This mug is actually a TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have to drink from it every single time. Yes, each sip fortifies me. <laughs> Please don't joke. <laughs> I almost did. I almost had the the coffee. Oh God! Uh, like no, oh, spraying it everywhere. Just like the icing on the cake. She's like, they talked about goose poop. They talked about. Yeah. And, and then they laughed and spat all me. over me. You're like, why doesn't Tanya talk to Greg anymore? Well, <laughs> well, we used to do that in in uh, as a young theater person going to uh, diners uh, in Connecticut after hours. That was the fun joke that we would play. Would everybody takes a, a, a mouthful of coffee in their in their mouth and then try to make the other person laugh? Oh, oh my god! And then we, yeah, we call it a snarf snarf down. I'm sure that the people who worked at the diner just loved oh, that game. Oh, they absolutely did. Yeah. Yeah. How long until you were all banned? Um, well, we were charming because we were theater people, so they might not have liked us, I but they also... I don't know that that's true. <laughs> Speaking maybe as not, a former theater maybe person... Maybe not me. I don't wow. think like you recognize outside of your circle of theater people that you're not actually charming. Oh, really? Yes. Dang it. Yeah. We did have one waitress who definitely did not like us. Her well, name was Agnes, and we tried to kill could, her with kindness. Break her. Yeah, and uh, she just was, like, unhappy in, in general. What would you call a group of theater people? A gaggle? Uh, like a goose? Yeah. <laughs> like an abyssal goose bring gaggle? It, bringing it back abyssal to the abyssal goose. Gaggle. goose. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What would you call, like, a group of, of loud, obnoxious I, theater people drinking coffee and spilling it everywhere? I don't know. A snarfle of <laughs> <laughs> a snargle? 
<laughs> what did you call the game? Snarf? Snor- uh, Snarf Snarf Down. Snow. Yeah. So Snarkle. A snarf of theater people. Mm. Mm. That sounds about you right. You seem to think that they were you were charming, so maybe you're like a charm of theater people. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> but no. it was really not. not charming. It was really not. Uh, but what is charming is... Playing Dungeons and Dragons with your friends. It sure is. <laughs> Isn't it? Uh, people are doing that more in coffee shops nowadays yes. and hopefully making each other spit coffee everywhere Maybe as they're having fun together. By natural, spontaneous snarfs. Exactly. Yep. Um, there is a lot of ways to do that using, uh, uh, you know, Baldur's Gate Descent to Avernus content, even though it is dark and mysterious and you got to deal with you know moral quandaries and things like that but i think there's a lot of hilarity that can come from being in those moments right oh absolutely yeah there there were times where we we have laughed on rivals and later i'm like i'm not sure that was actually funny (laughs) was that the uncomfortable are we about to die now laughter right it's a way to 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 cover the nervousness of what's happening people laugh in the face of emergency like that's their their Impulse, so yeah, totally. Yeah, that's what I would be doing in the nine hells, just yep. laughing nonstop. Yep. <laughs> I would poor Selisa. I feel like if if they don't get out soon enough, she's just going to be sitting there like rocking in a corner eventually. <laughs> oh, she's not okay. <laughs> or or she might uh, be tempted to become devil like herself. Oh, imagine if you fall as a paladin while in Avernus. Yeah. Ooh. It's almost like that uh, that woman on the cover. Oh. We'll see. Or maybe, maybe you'll commiserate with, with her. Oh, that would be so bad. <laughs> it would murder me. <laughs> but maybe she's like, oh, you can come be mm-hmm. like me. I've like, got a lot of vengeance that I can do. I can it's like, that. and I can help you get your vengeance. Yeah. Uh, would you take that? Would you take, would Celise take that? If it was like, I will ooh. give you vengeance, but you will be in Avernus forever as my lieutenant. Uh, in Avernus forever, no. I would, have to, I would have to be okay to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. So if 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 the deal was only to stay in Avernus forever, probably not, because Lise does like being alive. <laughs> I mean, we're all still alive; like we're not dead in Avernus, but but you don't have the the, the, the bodily pleasures. <sighs> no, and like it would depend depending on how long they're in Avernus and where she is emotionally, and also if she's still like unwitting den mom mm-hmm. to the group because <laughs> she is somehow the den mother and the responsible adult and I'm like how did we get here <laughs> no this literally not it's me. like yeah. remember where we parked the war machine and I'm like what Why? take the keys get ready <laughs> Basically. Uh, well, I hope uh, Cicero is listening so that uh, oh, he can no. use all <laughs> this against. Yeah, right. Exactly. Give him some good ideas. And uh, you're taking notes, Shelley, right, on how to dungeon master about all this. I mean, Avernus does seem really fun. It does seem fun. Yeah, you can get away with a lot. Uh, so, if people want to watch the uh, forthcoming and uh, uh, previous episodes of Wives About at Waterdeep, how can they do that? Uh, so you can catch us live at twitch.tv backslash dnd Sundays, 10 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Central, 1 p.m. Eastern. Or they can go to D&D's uh, YouTube channel or listen as a podcast. Nice. Yes. Um, and uh, you're at Cypher of Tear. Yes, on at the Cypher of Tear everywhere except for Final Fantasy fourteen. Because <laughs> Square <laughs> will not let you change your username for love or money. Oh. Yeah, I'm stuck with a with a tragic college, collegiate era username. Oh, dear. And I'm not telling anyone on the stream. That's I will tell you idea. later. <laughs> it's got devil's mustard in it, I know. <laughs> Shelly, how can people uh, uh, get in touch with you and ask you all the questions about Dungeon Mayhem that are talked about on Twitter? Oh, 
You're baiting me again, I am. Tito. But sure, let's do it on Twitter at Shelly Moo. Ask her. Ask her ask, all the oh, things. Go ahead. Ask me Make about it happen. Your plan with 10 people. 45 people? Yeah. Go ahead. Let's do it. I want to see a 45-member 45 45 <laughs> uh, Dungeon Mayhem yeah. Battle Royale. Oh, that would be amazing. That would yeah. be fun. Let's do it. Go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> we should do that at Geek Girl Con next month. Just a big Battle Royale? Yes. That's cool. We need some, some rules for that, don't you think? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's designing it in her head right now, and I'm loving it. Uh, so go ask her about all that on Twitter. I am at Greg Tito. I can be used as a support to uh, Pester Shelley if you need me to. Uh, but if you want to find out about all things Dungeons & Dragons, what you should do is go download Dragon Plus. It is on your mobile device, Android, iOS. Download it. There's bi-monthly issues all about uh, our new releases, what's coming up, previews, maps, lots of free Dungeons & Dragons content that you can't get anywhere else, all on Dragon Plus. So do that. Uh, if you want to access that content on the web, you can do that at dragonmag.com. Um, or if you just want to find out about what's going on uh, for the game at all, dungeonsanddragons.com is a great place to start, and uh, I can't wait for you to jump in. Yes. All right. Um, there are a couple of rocks up above. Do you think we should Tanya, investigate those? Uh, I mean, if Tanya wants to. Do you want to? Sure, what am I doing? <laughs> oh, God. You just just going to go hit all those things up there. Roll, if... roll to see what you get. Oh, my God, a two! Ah! Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>